Sorry, we had a bit of a technical problem here. Uh, Christian is not here with us and everything goes wrong. So <laughs> I think we have, uh, we've, uh, we've got some solid evidence now that we need you, Christian. You can't just sit in the train somewhere. <laughs> okay, so uh, thanks to all the participants uh, for uh, your patience today. Um, and uh, uh, why don't we uh, try to start as uh, quickly as possible. So after running this show for three or four years, we finally have Matthijs Rodan as a speaker. <laughs> uh, is really his first time? Yeah, he's been extremely reluctant to... Uh... Yeah, I was inviting other people on his own I've never been invited. <laughs> no, you have been, but then you invited other people. True yeah, true. that's true, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's indeed an example of uh, true uh, altruism. Uh, I just... Uh, 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 I, I just wanted to highlight today uh, that uh, you can't really see well on that. Screen, but I, I want to highlight that the Hot Politics Lab logo, of course, has uh, uh, blue and yellow in its uh, logo. And uh, and today, just today, we uh, we use that as an expression of sympathy towards uh, the ongoing events in in Ukraine. And uh, and, and our thoughts are, of course, with uh, with the people over there. And uh, that all makes the uh, the uh, the uh, yeah the uh, the, the proposed research that Matthijs will present today all the more relevant, of course, uh, because we'll be talking about empathy and tolerance for refugees. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, I think all of the attendees are very um, uh, uh, familiar with uh, Matthijs's uh, extensive work on themes of populism and radicalism and uh, all the joint work that we've done over the years. So uh, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, give the floor to my longtime friend and collaborator, Matthijs. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to share my screen now. Whoop. Oh, one second. Can you now see it? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, for inviting me, uh, Bert and Gijs. It's an uh, it's an honor to uh, to be here. Unfortunately, I cannot be uh, there with you because uh, my girlfriend tested positive uh, a couple of hours ago. Um, so, and I'm also coughing a little bit, so I've decided to stay here. Um, I uh, I am going to present uh, uh, what is basically a pre pre analysis plan. So it's really uh, just we're we're just starting. Well, we're not just starting, but but. Uh, it's still pretty fresh, so all kinds of uh, comments uh, and suggestions are more than welcome. Um, it is a project project that is designed together with uh, a couple of people. Uh, Debbie Gerritsen, who is my uh, colleague from the Interdisciplinary Social Science Program here at UVA, where I teach, and Gijs and Bert, of, co of course, my friends from the lab. Um, we start from uh, our whole project starts from the observation that there are uh, lots of worries about polarization. Um, and when it comes to political preferences or when it comes to cultural values or when it comes to uh, specific COVID-19 attitudes, uh, there is this widespread impression that uh, there is a lot of intergroup hostility. Um, and uh, well, there are good reasons to have this expectation because when you look, for instance, at research uh, in the United States, 
uh, we see that there is a lot of uh, uh, negative feelings between the Democrats and the Republicans. If you look at the United Kingdom, we see that Brexit has uh, basically generated a completely new uh, a divide or cleavage in the British society. And also when we look at um, research on effective polarization in continental Europe, uh, we see that, that there is a lot of uh, intergroup hostility. Um, so the question then basically becomes, how can we deal with this? Uh, how can we deal with this high, this high level of animosity? Um, and some people have argued that we need more empathy. Uh, for instance, our uh, uh, finance minister, uh, Sigrid Kaag, she wrote an opinion piece and there she, she said that we in, in, in the Netherlands need more empathy. And similarly, uh, Barack Obama, when he was still a senator in the US, made a similar claim. He said that uh, in the US there was an empathy deficit and that was one of, according to him, one of the most pressing issues of his time. Um, and also when we look at research, we see that uh, um, we, can, we can see that empathy can indeed reduce prejudice. However, some people are more hesitant. They're, they're actually more skeptical about a one-sided focus on empathy. And most importantly, they argue empathy can, can, can maybe work, but uh, a negative element of empathy is that the radius is pretty limited. So empathy is most often only directed towards an in-group. And in fact, when concern for an in-group is high and there are threats to this in-group, it can lead to negative attitudes towards out-groups. And imagine that we can actually increase empathy with an out-group. Even then, the question is how far it can reach because we, we, we have to deal with boundaries to, to the moral circle. So there will always be groups uh, that do not fall within this moral circle. And indeed, research has shown that when it comes to uh, empathy, that the consequences can be more effective polarization. So a question therefore is, is it possible that empathy does more harm than it does good? So that's the point of departure for our study. So we make three main contributions. So the first one is that we examine and compare different ways of inducing empathy and we examine the political consequences. So there are some studies focusing on political consequences, but not, not many yet, and those that do focus on political consequences, mainly focus on two-party systems and not on multi-party systems. More importantly is that we introduce tolerance as an alternative to empathy. Whereas empathy zooms in on a specific individual or group and creates an emotional bond with this individual or group, tolerance zooms out and focuses on society as a whole. So basically tolerance is a more uh, distant perspective. Some people say that it's a more rational one, focusing on mutual respect. And uh, one could say that the core idea basically is that uh, to live in a democracy and to live together in peace and harmony, it's a, it is of essential importance that we, um, that we respect diversity, that we appreciate basically pluralism, social, political, and cultural pluralism. So only in this way can we, uh, can we all live together. And our question basically is if Tolerance can work better to reduce uh, intergroup hostility than empathy. And finally, and this is more of a methodological argument, we introduce a theater experiment, uh, which means that we are going to collaborate with directors, writers, actors, musicians, sound designers. And as such, we can really design very immersive treatments that form an immersive experience for participants. I will tell you more about it in a minute. First, I want to focus uh, briefly on our core hypotheses, the hypotheses we have 
for now, because that still uh, could change. Um, the first set of hypotheses focuses on the effect of uh, uh, inducing outgroup empathy. So our, our expectation is that when we induce outgroup empathy, that, that this will lead to warmth or positive feelings towards this specific outgroup. However, because I've, I've just told you, right, that the, often the, the radius of empathy is limited, we do not expect that this will also spill, out, spill over to other outgroups. Um, and that it will also not uh, spill over to effective polarization uh, for, for vote intentions, et cetera, et cetera. So there will only be an effect on this specific outgroup. The second set of hypotheses focuses on in-group uh, in empathy. And here uh, we expect that this will lead to less positive attitudes towards this specific outgroup, in particular when there is a situation of threat for the reasons I've just mentioned. And for this reason, we also expect that there will be a negative effect on uh, positive attitudes towards other uh, types of outgroups. Um, we also think that it will spill over to, uh, to uh, the political realm. So for instance, we think that it also will affect effective polarization. So if you really strongly focus on empathy with the in-group, it can lead to more negative feelings towards outgroups, also when these outgroups are political. And finally, we also examine the radical right, so voting for the radical right, and we think that focusing on the in-group could increase a focus on uh, uh, the nation and therefore also uh, uh, could lead to um, a more popularity of uh, radical right politicians. Um, of course, as you can see here, when you look at the dependent variables, it, it, it moves from uh, a group that is really close to the, uh, uh, to the treatment to a group that is very far away from it. So we also think that the effects will um, will will decrease when you go from the group very nearby to the group, uh, sorry, from the variable very nearby to the variable further away. And finally, we look at tolerance. Uh, and here we have the exact opposite expectations uh, compared to the in-group empathy uh, group. So here we expect that inducing tolerance will lead to more positive feelings towards uh, the specific outgroup, also to other outgroups, and that, that it will diminish in-group, out-group distance, effective polarization, and vote intentions for the radical right. I would like to emphasize that we're also going to explore other uh, types of variables and other things. So we are going to examine to what extent different types of empathy induction uh, have uh, different consequences. We've also focused on different types of tolerance. We also look at the, the effect of intolerance. Um, we're going to examine the effects on uh, empathy and, to and tolerance attitudes. We are going to examine whether there is a difference between receiving the information alone or in the group. And we're going to look at moderation by uh, pre-treatment attitudes. But I will uh, uh, say more about that in a minute. Um, first, the design now. Um, we will team up with a musical theater company called Via Berlin. And we're going to investigate this at URL, which is uh, um, uh, basically a landscape arts festival. And for this festival, the whole island of Deschelling, which is one of the islands in the north, in the north of the Netherlands, is transformed into an, an, a natural stage for all kinds of artistic performances. Uh, every year, there, were, there are about 50,000 visitors uh, uh, at Ural, um, and we are going to, uh, and, and, and it lasts for 10 days. We're going to uh, uh, perform nine out of those 10 days, so we will have a one-day break, and we, have, we will have two performances each day. Uh, we will have, uh, we expect 400 visitors per performance, and this will lead in the end to 7,000 uh, uh, participants in our experiment. The whole thing, so the whole performance, 
consists of three parts. So the first part is our theater experiment. I'm going to talk about this experiment uh, in a minute. About, uh, it's, it also consists of a musical theater performance. I'm not going to talk about that uh, in depth. If you have questions about it, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. And we also have an interactive discussion with the audience uh, uh, as a final part. Here we debrief participants and he, here we will tell them more about uh, the experiment that we have just conducted. For now, I'm going to focus on the theater experiment itself. So what are we going to do? Um, the context of the experiment is a fictitious story and we're going to immerse people in this fictitious story. And it is about Belgium, our neighboring country. And the story is that in Belgium, uh, there will be a civil war. Uh, there is really a, a civil war, a state of emergency because uh, groups within Belgium uh, attack each other. And in particular, people with a mig migration background are under attack. And therefore they seek refuge in the Netherlands. This is the general information that all participants in the experiment uh, that will receive this, this information. Later on, there will be randomly divided over four different routes. And along these routes, they will be manipulated. So the experiment is basically in these four routes. And these four routes are literally routes. There are paths through the dunes, through the bushes that, that, that lead to the musical stage. The musical, the musical performance stage is located on top of the dunes where people uh, can sit, where they can watch the performance and where they have a view over the sea and over the, uh, over the little town uh, nearby. Um, but the routes are the paths to these uh, uh, to these uh, uh, to this musical stage uh, where the performance will. Along this path, uh, people will be exposed to radio transmissions by means of speakers that are hidden in the bushes. So people will walk there and they will hear these fake, of course, radio transmissions, which, which really will sound like real radio transmissions. In the experiment, we will most likely have 12, about 12 conditions and that will randomly be divided over the performances. So we have four routes. We have 18 performances. That means that we will have 72 times a group walking up. Uh, and, that all, and that again means that we will have, uh, that every condition will be present six times. So if you have questions about this, let me know and I will try to answer them. Um, what does it look like? Every route consists of two parts, the manipulation part, that's where the people are exposed to the treatments, and then the question part. And in the question part, uh, uh, people will see billboards along the route with questions, questions, uh, thermometer questions about, about several groups, uh, empathy questions, voting questions, uh, uh, all kinds of questions also about emotions. And they will use plastic cards uh, where they will answer the questions with, uh, um, with a pen. And these cards will be scanned at the end of the room. We're now also exploring whether it will be possible to use tags, so that we can use the tags to to basically answer the questions. But we're still, it's uh, we have to see whether the technique will allow us to do that. Um, we will have four routes, as I've said, and each will have three subroutes. This means that it it takes it will take about twenty to thirty minutes for four hundred people to go up. We have already tested this, and this should work. It, it, it should work, uh, uh, we think. Um, but we will have 40 students, four, four interns, and two research assistants to help us. So we have uh, actually lots of people to actually help us get the people up there. Um, and this is what it looks like, uh, to just that you get an impression. 
This is a map of the town or the town, the little village where the people uh, will arrive. They arrive here. Uh, this will be a tent. They can park their bicycle over here. Of course, it's a Dutch island, so people arrive by bike. And they will then walk here through this street to where the routes start. They will get uh, colored wristlets and they refer to the colored routes that they will, uh, uh, that they will um, walk up. Um, here you have an overview of here is again the, where people uh, are received, where the bicycles are parked, and here they have to walk here, and here they will split up, and the green, yellow, red, and blue routes uh, are going to different areas, 100 people here, 100 people here, here, and here, and from there they will walk up through the dunes, and that will look like this. So these are the locations again, and these are the routes. So we have four different routes, and each route has three different subroutes. Otherwise, we will not be able to get the people up uh, within 20 to 30 minutes. Um, here will be the musical uh, uh, theater stage. Uh, it will be built over here. And people will arrive here and they will answer the questions here and along the routes. So this is basically what it looks like. Here is the sea and here is also the sea. So people here have uh, very nice, will have very nice views. Okay, a bit more about the conditions. Um, all people will be introduced to the fictitious situation in Belgium. And then we have now six conditions. We have an outgroup empathy condition with a personal story. So here we will tell people a personal story that really uh, with which we hope to uh, induce empathy. We will have another group that will get the same uh, treatment including a perspective taking exercise. And I will say more about it in a minute. We will do the same with the in-group empathy group, and we will also have a tolerance group. In the tolerance group, there will not be a personal story because as I've said, tolerance in, with the tolerance condition, you really zoom out, it's a more distant perspective. So it can never be about a specific group or a specific person. We might wanna add a perspective taking exercise, but I will, uh, I'm not sure about it yet, but we will uh, talk about it in a minute. And we will have a control group. Um, all conditions are multiplied uh, with two because we want people to receive information individually <coughs> and in groups. And we will see, we want to see whether there is a difference between people receiving uh, information when they're on their own, when they're walking through the dunes by themselves without talking to other people, or when they walk through the dunes and they can actually talk with their uh, uh, co-visitors about the information that they are receiving. <laughs> real time. Okay, so this is what we want to do at URO. However, we're going to do a pre-test soon this month with 1,200 respondents. And here we are basically going to experiment a little bit with the experiment. So we're going to try different things. And what I really want, <coughs> sorry, what I would really like you uh, to do is to, to really focus on the uh, the text I'm going to present you. So we're going to do this pre-test and we really hope to, to get some information about all these different conditions. And this information can then help us to actually write the actual pre-analysis plan and to do the, the, the study at URO. So we're going to experiment a little bit most with the outgroup empathy condition. We will look at personal stories, different ways of uh, perspective taking exercises. And we will also uh, experiment with different types of tolerance induction. I will tell you, I will show you the text so you, so you will see the difference. 
We will also experiment with an intolerance text to see if uh, to see what the effects of an intolerance intolerance text are. So what I'm going to show you now is what we're going to do in this survey. So in this survey, we're going to expose people to text, um, whereas at Ural they will hear these uh, these texts. That will that they will it will be more immersive. However, we want to, to see, we want to test whether what we're going to, to, uh, to, to expose people to uh, might work. So let me, I'm going to present you the, the, the text we have now. They're re really brief, so, uh, so we, can, we can go through it. Um, I do need to mention that it was written in Dutch and that I've uh, uh, translated with Google Translate. That works really, really well, but there might be uh, some uh, language mistakes. The most obvious ones, I, I think I, uh, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I uh, took care of that, but there might be some errors left. Okay, so first, uh, within the uh, survey that we're going to, to do next month, um, this is the information that all participants will read. So, um, you're about to read two texts about fictitious situations. Try to imagine as vividly as possible what, uh, that what you are reading actually happened. Then answer the questions that follow. In Belgium, different groups live together. Imagine that the tensions between these groups continue to increase. Due to a rising nationalism in the country, people with a migration background are increasingly excluded. If at some point several attacks are per uh, perpetrated on immigrant-run supermarkets, a state of emergency is declared in Belgium. It is now a kind of civil war. Many people with a migration background no longer feel safe and decide to flee to the Netherlands. It's tens of thousands, maybe hundreds, uh, a hundred of thousands of people. Um, so this is the introduction text and everybody will read this. Then the outgroup empathy uh, people will read this. Many people find it important that we offer help to these refugees in this situation. It is terrible what is happening to them and there are so many innocent victims. Many Belgians with a migration background no longer feel safe and are at their wit's end. From a human point of view, we have to sympathize with these Belgians. They are in a crisis situation that we can hardly imagine and they desperately need our help. So we already uh, did a test with this text and it has no effect at all. So um, we thought that we uh, needed to spice up things a little. So we added a personal story in the second group. So we people will read this text and in addition to it, they will read this. Read below the story of eight-year-old Jana, a girl with a migration background who has lived in Belgium all her life. My dad was very badly injured in an attack in our store. There are people who threaten us because they don't want us to live here anymore. I don't understand what we did, what we did wrong. Now we have to leave the place where I've lived all my life and where all my friends live, and we may never come back here. So this is the second condition. People read the empathy uh, text, and they will read this personal story. In the third group and the fourth group, we use um, perspective-taking exercises. So the first one, group three, we would like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine what it would be like to be in Jana's shoes. What would she think and feel? Write down three words that come to mind. This is the imagine other perspective. In the fourth group, we will ask a very similar but slightly different question. We, we would like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine how you would think in Jana's situation and how you would feel. Write down three words that come to mind. This is, is an imagined self uh, perspective taking exercise. So here we're going to compare also these different types of perspective taking exercises. Okay, that's the outgroup empathy. 
Now the in-group empathy text. Uh, the fifth group will get this text also in, uh, including a personal story. Um, the Dutch Housing Association is sounding the alarm with regard to the housing shortage in the Netherlands. This leads to distressing situations every day. There are currently no fewer than 60,000 people who do not own a home. That is an increase of 100% compared to five years ago. From a human point of view, we must empathize with our fellow citizens. They are in a crisis situation that we can hardly imagine and they desperately need our help. Read below the story of eight-year-old Sarah, a Dutch girl who lives alone with her father because her mother uh, has passed away. My daddy no longer has a job and can no longer afford our house. That means that we have to get out of the house where, we, where we've lived all our lives. We have not yet been able to find another house because uh, there are simply too few houses. My daddy doesn't know what to do anymore and that makes me very sad. So here we want to um, uh, increase empathy with the in-group. Um, in a first uh, uh, trial, we have basically, um, we linked this in-group empathy to the situation in Belgium. However, that makes almost uh, by definition, the whole text sounding like a radical right uh, treatment. And therefore we have decided to uh, present a text that is completely different from the first text. Um, and we do not think that this is strange because when people walk through the dunes, you have to, you have to imagine they will be exposed to these different messages, like, uh, like they're listening to a news item. And also in a news item, of course, you have very different items. So um, uh, it might be realistic to have a completely different story next to it. So here we want to uh, increase in-group empathy. We then also do a similar thing where we add also perspective-taking exercise. We do not uh, do both perspective-taking exercises because otherwise we will uh, have uh, not enough respondents within our uh, different groups. Okay, then the tolerance group. We focus on three types of tolerance. The first one is acceptance of diversity tolerance. And this is the text. Um, many people think we should be more tolerant. We can only live together in freedom and peace if different population groups respect each other. The big problem in Belgium now is the lack of tolerance, and that is where the solution should be found. As long as they don't harm each other, all groups should be free to live as they please. So this is basically accept, accepting diversity. It's a relatively negative uh, understanding of tolerance. The second type of tolerance is called respect for diversity. Um, and there we add one extra line we say, and that is ultimately only possible if different groups respect each other, even if they do not agree with each other. So this basically goes one step further. It's not just acceptance of diversity, it is respect for diversity. And in the third one, uh, we add appreciation for diversity. And here we add diversity of traditions and lifestyles should be welcomed. Diversity only makes a society stronger. So this is again, one step further. And then in a 10th um, group, we add to these uh, texts, again, a perspective-taking exercise. Of course, when it comes to tolerance, we cannot ask people to, um, to position them, themselves in the shoes of another person because tolerance zooms out, right? So here we have uh, the following text. We would like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine what it would be like if all groups in our society would respect and tolerate each other. Write down three words that come to mind. And then we have an intolerance text. 
Um, many people think that we should draw a line here. We already have enough problems in the Netherlands and cannot have these refugees here. If we take in all these people from non-Western countries, we will betray our own citizens who are already having a hard enough time. Moreover, these people do not fit in with our Dutch culture at all. If we now open the borders, the Netherlands will increasingly change into a country that does not belong to the Dutch. This, this is where it really has to stop. The border should close. So this is a really, uh, this is a real radical right uh, message. And finally, we need a control condition, a text that is uh, basically completely uh, not related to any type of empathy, tolerance, or intolerance. And we still have to design that. So if you have any, any ideas, let me know. So to conclude, um, this, all the, the texts I've just presented, uh, are going to, to be part of a survey. We're still, uh, 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 it's, it's not final yet, so we can still change it. The outcomes of this survey will then help us to formulate our uh, uh, pre-analysis plan. Uh, and that will, uh, of course, the, the, be the pre-analysis plan for UL. So this is really, uh, we can really still change a lot. So all your ideas are more than welcome. And finally, I would like to mention that, of course, the whole situation, the war in Ukraine has changed, uh, uh, well, has changed uh, the environment. So my question would also be, do we need to take that into account and how? Because, of course, we have no idea how things are going to change, in particular when it comes to uh, refugees. Thanks. Matthijs, do you hear us? Yes, I can yeah. now hear you. Oh, yeah. I missed all the compliments about, uh, about the work, so I'm not going to redo that. Uh, no, thanks a lot. Uh, it's great uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to see you talk this through, and uh, especially some compliments on the, the art with all the, the... Now that we're looking at a lot of military maps these days, it's, uh, it's also nice to see some walking routes again. Uh, not just so there are zones of control. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, hey, for people who are maybe a little new to uh, to this uh, a hybrid format. If you have a question, you can type it in the Q and A box, and then uh, I will read it out loud, and Matthijs will answer the questions. Hey, Matthijs, before um, so people might want to uh, uh, formulate their question, I, I have a quick question for you, Matthijs. So, um, um, how do you um, how do you think uh, uh, the, the the developing situation in Ukraine will um, Will, will affect some of the treatments that we might see, right? Um, we, we have a lot of empathy uh, induction here, and there's also uh, group dynamics here in a sense that, uh, um, you know, compared to maybe the last refugee crisis in Europe, uh, it's definitely seems that like countries like Hungary are suddenly very willing to adopt uh, refugees, at least for now at the time, early March. So is, is this a worry you have, and, and in, especially in terms of maybe pre-treatment effects that, that we get constant exposure to empathy-inducing messages? Or do you, well, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but should we worry about this? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried about it because, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about <laughs> the situation, of course, but this is really, um, I think that uh, what might happen here is that people in general will be much more positive about refugees uh, than before. Um, and this might affect 
the the uh, the results because it could be now that if people talk about uh, when people think about refugees they think about people from U Ukraine leaving the country and seeking re refuge here in the Netherlands and we know that we are all pretty welcoming to these refugees and um, that it was really really different uh, before the war broke out and uh, in particular in 2016 when we had this uh, uh, other so-called refugee crisis um, but of course we don't know what's how things are going to develop right now um, it could be a massive influx of refugees um, maybe not uh, i expect that to happen actually but but we don't know and we don't know how public opinion is going to develop so i'm really not sure if we at this stage should change anything because we really don't know what's going to happen but i would be i mean i'm, I'm happy to answer all your questions but i would also really like to hear all your suggestions because i'm i, I really don't know yet so if you uh or or other people in the audience have any ideas i would be uh, uh, yeah i would be really happy to uh, to hear them yes uh, uh and uh, natalie Kieger here in the room in amsterdam had a follow-up question on the no, i actually have a suggestion because oh, a suggestion. Because, yeah, i mean you you mentioned the in so it's it's really really exciting work and i have some other comments but just on, on this so you you're quite abstract in saying in groups in belgium with migration background and that could evoke wider various kind of mm -hmm. you know, people could imagine various groups and probably this will potentially change also in, in due course. So I was wondering if it may, might make sense to be a bit more specific there to, to I mean, it seems that you want to in, induce uh, empathy with specifically public groups that had not had not seen so much empathy. So maybe it makes sense to, to say to tell them that, yeah, you know, Malcolm yeah. background or whatever they yeah yeah. yeah good good point i um we have been struggling with this so in a previous version actually what is going to happen at all at some point the whole musical theater performance um is about the situation where there's been a, a coup in uh in in flanders and the, there is a national nationalist group and they uh they, they took power and they are now basically um, and there are attacks on uh, uh, Wallonians and also on immigrants, and people are uh, there, there are huge numbers of refugees close to uh, Maastricht. Um, so this is the situation where the um, the musical theater company starts. Um, however, the whole coup idea um, was difficult because when you sketch that situation people will be really negative about this group probably about this far-right national nationalist group and that creates a clear out group uh, uh, namely this 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 far-right group about about and, and we don't really want people to be really negative and to focus on this group and for that reason we have now decided to be relatively vague about what happened so there is this civil war there is this uh, there is a lot of nationalism, there is this um, uh, uh, emergency situation, a civil war. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but we are um, um, we are pretty vague about what is exactly going on. But that, that was our choice. That was uh, something we, 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 we wanted. We wanted to be a bit vague about that. 
but I'm also not really sure if that is the the, the best way to go. Um, but we could be more specific and be more specific about the group because that will also be part of the story. But now I was a bit hesitant about it also because in a previous meeting where I presented this, people were, and I think rightly so, worried about this different outgroup that we create by focusing on this group. Okay, thanks, uh, Matthijs. There are a couple of questions in the chat, uh, so let's go to these. The first is from uh, Diamantus Petropoulos Petalas. Thank you, Matthijs, for sharing this super exciting research project. We all look forward to the next steps. My question is about various types, levels of empathy, and which type is likely to be targeted given your design. Psychologists often refer to cognitive, emotional, and compassionate forms of empathy that perhaps involve the activation of very different underlying mechanisms, leading to very different manifestations of emotion. Have you thought about pre-testing the type of empathetic response that maps best on the emotion you mostly want to target, and how to account for such differences in empathy activation in your analytical plan using, for example, random intercept models? Many thanks, Diamantes. Thanks. Yeah, we. Um, so I think we, we do a couple of things that might help us to uh, to, uh, to 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 do something with this and to use this in our final experiment. So. Um, we are going to um, ask people about different types of empathy. So we ask uh, this uh, questions about more cognitive elements of empathy, but also more effective elements of empathy. So we ask questions. I, I, I haven't mentioned it now in the in the um, in the slides, but we will um, <clears throat> as another group of dependent variables, we will ask um, uh, people's uh, empathy attitudes and. There we can make this distinction between these more cognitive and more effective types of empathy. Um, at the same time, we're also going to ask people about their uh, emotions. So uh, several types of uh, negative and positive emotions. And uh, they're going to answer how they feel after uh, having been exposed to these treatments. So we can also say uh, more about how they feel. So I think that these emotions will play an important mediating maybe role in this whole uh, process. But we're still a bit... Um, agnostic about how exactly these emotions play a role. So I think this will be more, this part of the research will be more um, exploratory. Also, by the way, we will, uh, for a very tiny subgroup of respondents, we will, um, we hope to measure their uh, physiological respond responses by means of uh, riskless that, that are going to measure their, their arousal. Um, so these are ways in which we will try to disentangle this uh, yeah very important puzzle that you that you raise here thanks okay thanks uh next question is from patrick stewart uh this is a fascinating project having done some field experiments i congratulate you on taking such a challenging and promising study with the groups with the groups uh are you planning to apply any ethological ethological observational methods and and in particular patrick i have an idea about this like you could come to google and sit uh, in a in a in a in a, in a, a hidden in the dunes and, and observe <laughs> some of the, the facial muscle activity that makes you you're actually you're invited to uh to to come uh in june uh, to tessel but there's gotta there's gotta come to the right island <laughs> but Matthijs, you might have some, uh, something more to say about this. Yeah, so um, what, so we, we have many different plans. So this is the what I've just presented is the core of what we're going to do. So I've just mentioned that we, in addition, we will, we will do uh, some other things. So we're going to 
explore these discrete types of emotions also by means of questionnaires. And we're going to uh, explore, as I've just mentioned, by means of these wristlets, uh, their uh, physiological responses. Um, in addition, um, and I think these are the most important methods, but in addition, we will also do some qualitative research and how exactly we do not know yet, um, but we, have, uh, we will have uh, 40 students there. It will be part of a course they take. What are you doing, uh, guys, with, with, with the camera? <laughs> um, we will, uh, um, 40 students will join us there and they're going to do a, a research project. And they're also going to uh, observe how people behave and they're going to uh, do interviews with respondents. So uh, for instance, we want to know more about, uh, I'm not exactly sure yet how, but we want to know more uh, about how people uh, interact in the, uh, when it comes to the routes where people are allowed to interact. So uh, as I've said, right, I, I haven't focused on it uh, in detail, but we, we're going to make this distinction between people who receive information uh, individually and people who receive information in groups. So people who uh, can actually talk to each other when they receive the information. And I think, of course, if we find a difference, we know that interaction matters, but we do not know what really matters. And I don't think that, that we will be able to settle this question, but it might be worth it uh, to try to at least to some extent explore uh, 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 what people are, are, are doing when they are talking to each other. So there, uh, uh, our students will, will probably uh, play an important role and, and see what's actually going on. And they will also interview uh, respondents. Um, yeah, so that's the additional things, the additional methods we're going to use to investigate this all. Thank you, Matthias. Apologies for disturbing you with the camera. <laughs> no, no, no. I figured out that I didn't do a good Anyways, um, uh, Patrick uh, has accepted the challenge to come and accept facial muscle activity. Cool. Uh, and as a little uh, addition to it, uh, may I suggest measuring observable audience responses, which is applause, laughter, yeah. etc. I think, yeah, that, that. Yeah, by the way, uh, sorry, just, just to add, so I have focused now on the, um, the, the theater experiment, with, which takes place before the performance. We will also ask questions and measure physiology during the, uh, and after, just after the, the, the musical theater performance. So there we can also indeed, uh, uh, we, we can also examine indeed uh, the, the ways in which people respond to the musical theater uh, uh, performance. Sorry, Beth, that was what I wanted to add. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, great. Uh, then we go to the room to Sanna van Oost, who is here in the back. Hey, hi, back here. Hey, Sanna. <laughs> hi, nice to see you. Um, I hope you uh, don't get sick, and I uh, hope your girlfriend doesn't get sick as well. Um, I really like your presentation. I already saw bits of it um, here and there. I just couldn't imagine what it was going to be about. And, <laughs> and now I finally know, and it's just really exciting. And I think it's really amazing that you're taking this on. And I'm really looking forward to, to hearing about following how it develops. Um, something I really liked uh, is your distinction between empathy and tolerance. Because right, what, the moment you started talking about tolerance, I, I all these red flags went off in my mind, and I kind of kept thinking, wait, 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 what, what does tolerance mean? Because tolerance implies something that negative is going on, but you have that covered with all those different conditions. It's really, really fascinating, really great. Um, and also, uh, I wanted to reply to like how can. I mean, this changes everything now that all of a sudden the refugee situation is totally different than it was a week ago or a week and a half ago. Um, and uh, it actually, 
I mean, I think it does help. I would really urge you to be more specific about what kind of migration background you need and what kind of uh, uh, where people are from, uh, who they are, because I, and this is also something that in my, my uh, dissertation, I think about a lot is that on what grounds are people justifying xenophobia? So whenever people say, well, we can't live, let these refugees in uh, because of our housing market, is housing really what they're worried about? Or is it that it's kind of a justification that sounds okay, that makes them seem like reasonable people? Um, and yeah, so I would really, and I really like that you're using the housing market as well uh, as this, this, this reason why, uh, but I would really urge you to get into, I mean, are they just, is it because of housing or is it because of race uh, that people are, are worried? And, and just be specific about which migration background, um, yeah. And which yeah. migration, where the people are from, yeah. Thanks. And also uh, think about the, uh, there's a literature about single outgroups and double outgroups. Uh, you could say that like uh, Ukrainian refugees could be, you could argue they're a single outgroup, like they're from a different country, they have different culture, but they're still white. Um, and maybe more Christian oriented, um, but then a double outgroup is a group that's or a triple outgroup uh, speaks a different country and is not white and might be Muslim. I mean, all those things make you way more of an outgroup. So there's there's outgroups and there's outgroups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Th these are really really good points, and I think um, it was something we have already discussed before. So do, should we actually focus on a very specific group? We're focused on Wallonians, um, uh, but that's um, for reasons of the, the, the uh, of the play, it's not possible. Um, we've talked about other types of groups, but in particular now with the current situation uh, and the, the associations people will have with refugees, it might be a very good idea to make the group more uh, specific and to focus. And indeed, actually what we want to, I guess, is um, designing an outgroup that people really feel as an outgroup, uh, and that that might uh, might and then it might be the case to have actually these these triple double or triple outgroups, and we can we can relatively easily, of course, uh, uh, design it like that and make make the story be about a triple outgroup, um, and then it has uh, um, um, and yeah, we we could also we could also now experiment already a little bit with it. Uh, and try to see if it makes a difference if we are going to focus on such a triple out group or uh, 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 the situation in which we leave it open, what kind of uh, migrant group it is. But this is something that we should be more, I think, be more specific about in particular now. Thanks. Okay, now we're gonna, now we're gonna go to some uh, questions from uh, Canada. Uh, first, it's uh, Amanda Friesen, uh, but there, there was another suggestion from an anonymous attendee to also be specific about the uh, outgroup, so that, that I think we've covered. Uh, Amanda has a question. Uh, I like this uh, immersive version that is similar to Simo, Simonovic et al.'s 2017 perspectives taking video game study about Romania. 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 Romania, sorry. Prejudice. There, their control treatment was naming an emotion on a face before playing the placebo game. I wonder if you could write a small vignette just about how people feel when watching theater performances. So it's a, it's about emotion, but not groups. Hmm. 
Hmm. So this would then be interesting. So this would then be about the performance itself, right? Um, so this would be about people uh, seeing the performance and then writing, uh, yeah. I really need to, I, I really have to think about that. Um, there it will be um, mostly about emotions, I think, yes. Um, but this is something I um, I really don't know yet. Also because um, it is tricky because of course, what is happening in the play is something that we cannot really control. And a lot of things are going on there. So I think that in particular here, so. I, I think I agree if I if I understood it correctly, that this should be more about emotion because it's really difficult to um, to isolate what's going on in the play when it comes to the different groups. Uh, it is possible, of course, to investigate more, uh, in particular, what is going on emotionally, and we could ask people to 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 write that down, for instance, uh, and to measure their 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 physiological responses. Um, but I think you're right. This will be more about the emotions and less about the effects of different types of groups. I'm not 100% sure if I understood what you meant, but yeah, thanks. All right, the next question is uh, also from Canada. It's from Jordan Monsell. Um, hi, Jordan. Also, hi, Amanda. Uh, empathy is a difficult emotion to induce. Jamil Saki shows that empathetic experiences in the target group are contingent on their relationship with the requester recipient. The implication of this relationship is that in experimental attempts to induce empathy, only a subset of your participants will actually experience empathy in response to the treatment. This may present a challenge to your design to compare the effects of empathy versus tolerance. What measures of empathy are you planning to incorporate to ensure you're actually capturing empathy? Your study might actually be better set up as a comparison of perspective taken versus tolerance. Yeah, good point. So we will um, probably we will use the IRI uh, measure of uh, of empathy. So the four different elements: what is it? Uh, empathic concern, perspective taking, fantasy, and I'm, I'm missing one. Um, these are pretty. It's a pretty. It's a pretty long uh, um, measure. So I think it's forty items in total. So probably we're not going to be able to 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 use the whole scale. I've I've discovered that we also have briefer scales. So I think twelve item uh, um, scales of uh, of empathy of the also the four different elements of empathy. So I think we're going to use that to 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 measure empathy among uh, 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 respondents. And that we're going to use, uh, there's also this validated measure of tolerance, also consisting of the three types of tolerance that I've just presented, right? So the, uh, the appreciation, appreciation, respect, and um, acceptance of tolerance. Um, and I think we're also, this is a measure of, I think, only nine items. So I think we're going to use the abbreviated uh, IRI measure and this tolerance measure to actually measure people's uh, uh, attitudes. Um, and indeed, to some extent, what we're uh, focusing on is uh, perspective taking versus tolerance. However, um, um, I would like to emphasize that we do this perspective taking exercise in some of the groups, but in some of the other groups, we only present an empathic text and a personal story. So there, the situation is slightly different. But again, just like with uh, the, Amant uh, the Amantis question, um, 
we need to 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 disentangle the different different effects here. Uh, but thanks, this is this is really helpful. I don't know this study of uh, Jamizaki, so I should uh, also look it up. Thanks. Well, you're going in isolation, so you have some time to read. Oh, no, you have to take <laughs> exactly, care of the yeah. kids, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, next question from Tobias Horbach. Uh, I was wondering about the control condition. Maybe one approach would be to have the radio emissions mimic some sort of podcast about cultural or historical background of Belgium to prepare them for the play without zooming in on any of the current problems groups. Please, I mean, child mind. Present to prepare them for the play. Yeah, so if, uh, uh, just a historical story about Belgium. That might be a good idea. Um, the thing is, we have to be very careful that the control group does not um, trigger any empathic or uh, uh, any kind of tolerant or Ill intolerant reactions, uh, I guess. So I was also wondering about, uh, of course, all people will see the very basic text about the situation. Um, about not adding an additional text at all. Um, but I'm not really sure about that because not adding a text is also also can have an effect that I have just seen much less than the others. So I'm not really sure. This might be a good idea to focus on, um, uh, yeah, basically just the background. Thanks. Okay, uh, last two questions from the room. First, Natalie Geeker. I just, on this last, I, I'm not sure that, showing a text on history of Belgium wouldn't still evoke some outgroup feelings, no? Because they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but on, on this, so um, no, first, um, yeah, on this point with the not, not showing a text, I was uh, slightly worried that the, that you kind of add always to the condition. So the, the first condition gets a much shorter text and then kind of you always add. Um, so it, the effect could also just be, Due to seeing or hearing more, no. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So I, I would be um, um and, and on the mind and background, I, I'm not I, I'm not sure how you want to set it up, but you could also experiment with some accents, no? That is that the that the story of this eight year old is told by a eight year old with a yeah. migration background. Or yeah. uh, that would be quite cool. Um, and then another um a point on the on the very um. On, on the hypothesis set up, I was wondering how you then in the end measure effective polarization. Um, because that seems uh, I mean you have the only you have one time shot or you know, one snapshot of these respondents. So would you then just expect that the group itself is more polarized or or more extreme? Yeah. So I was wondering if, if polarization is really the right word there, or if it's more just extreme, extremeness or something. Yeah. Um, but this is, I think, something to think through uh, setting up the, when setting up the pre-analysis plan, how, yeah. how this could be measured. Yeah. Um, yes, that's, that's it. But yeah, very good, good points. I think uh, I, I will be very brief because we, uh, are, uh, we don't have much time. We don't have time left. Um, thanks for all, for all the advice. I, I, I do hear your concerns about the, the different length of the text or, 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 or um, radio transmissions that is something that we should carefully think of effective polarization very briefly we look at the um, the the distance between one's in group and out group for several groups when it comes to effective polarization this is about how people think about their own voters of their their own political party and uh, voters for other political parties 
uh, in the United States, of course, it's a distance basically between the uh, Republican and uh, uh, Democrat voters. Um, in the Netherlands, we have many parties, so we have to take that into account. And we have on the individual level, when it comes to these uh, ideas about parties or voters of parties, uh, there are measures that are developed that take that into account and also take into account how big these parties are. So that, that will be a measure that we will use there. I hope that answers uh, that last question. Thanks. Finally. Yep, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Matthijs. Uh, I will uh, quickly uh, round up today uh, because you already have a coffee mark with uh, a politics lab on it uh, and announce the remaining schedule to you next week. Uh, Yif Lelkus uh, from the Annenberg School of Communication will give a talk titled Dyna Dynamic Media Bias. Uh, March 18, Josh Keller from Yale University will give a talk on the manifold effects of partisan media on viewers' beliefs and attitudes. It's a field experiment with Fox News viewers. I mean, that's almost as cool as what you proposed. <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, the week after that, we have a graduate Friday with Isabella Rabasso and Ernesto de Leon. And uh, uh, um, uh, Isabella will talk, uh, will present a paper titled Interest, Not Political Knowledge Drives Emotional Responses to Politics. And Ernesto, uh, Ernesto's talk uh, is called Walking Roads to Hyperpartisan News, Online Intermediaries to COVID-19 News During the Outbreak of the Pandemic. Uh, then the week after that, April 1st, Rune Slotus from Oros University, What's in the Queue? how citizens use party cues to learn about policies. And then after we have a bit of a long break with conferences and holidays and uh, other stuff. Okay, uh, thanks a lot for today. I'm sorry for the technical hiccups. Hopefully next week, Christian will be here again to save us from, uh, <laughs> uh, from any more of those. And uh, for now, I wish you a great weekend.